Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 280. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. As always, I'm joined by one of the marvelous members of the Blueprint MCAT Live Online team. We are continuing our breakdown of the Blueprint Half-Length Diagnostic, which you get for free by setting up a free account over at blueprintmcat.com. We are continuing BioBioCam running into Passage 4 today. George, back for some more MCAT podcast. How you doing, my friend? Always great. Always great to be here. I don't know about always great. This bio biochem <laughs> section is destroying me, destroying <laughs> my uh, confidence and my knowledge and uh, destroying my score no. uh, to boot. No, not at all. This is this is where it, this is honestly where the practice is like the best place to make mistakes because it doesn't matter. No one's going to look at it. No one cares. Right. Um, just a little bit of fun my ego cares my ego (laughs) cares and and, i mean i'm just only putting this out for the world to see that uh dr gray has forgotten all of this stuff so anyway yeah it's it's funny there's that tiktok trend going around of like as a anesthesiologist here are five things i will never do as a trauma surgeon here are five things i will never do and i'm just like as a doctor podcaster here <laughs> I, I don't i don't really have any trend to go there um yeah anyway so again we've talked a lot of mindset stuff uh mm-hmm. really struggling here making sure that we we stay on track we don't overburden our brain with uh, negative self-talk we get to another passage take a deep breath close eyes say some prayers um, is that is that the general thought? I think even if we take a step further back, you know, there there are times throughout our our prep where it feels like you know concepts aren't sticking, or maybe it's just it's discouraging because it's like you feel like you've put in a lot of work. You know, a lot of the students we see for their first you know one, two, three full lengths, they'd be like, I feel like I'm not seeing progress. I feel like I'm plateauing, and. A couple of things to remember there is that, you know, each full length is going to cover like the MCAT. If everything that the MCAT can cover, they're only going to cover a small section on a full length and another small section on your next one. Another one. It's not until your later ones until you really start seeing things over and over that things start to overlap, right? Most students in their prep see the largest score increases at the tail end of their prep, which is hard to think about because you're like, I just want to see the progress now, right? Um, but what it really comes down to again is that it is easy to to get discouraged, but that's why it's so important to 
reach out and get like a good social network. It's really important to plan your breaks to make sure that, you know, if you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to be disciplined in my study for two, three, four hours a day, but I'm also going to be disciplined with my time off, right? If my time off is going out with my friends or like going for a run, I'm going to watch the sunrise, the sunset, whatever it may be, going to the gym. If that's what you need to keep the light bulb fresh, make sure you prioritize it because your mental health is just as important as your, like your study health, right? Like they go hand in hand. If you feel like you're burning out and you're, again, you're staring at the page, the words are there, but they're not going in. You can sit there for eight hours. Recording not really in progress. Anything, if you spend half your time recharging, you prioritize your sleep, you prioritize what you eat, you prioritize your physical and mental health and your social health as well. Granted, there are some things that you have to prioritize in the sense that, okay, like I came out once this week, I won't go out five times a week, but still plan those things. Look forward to those things. They'll keep you going, right? They'll keep you fresh. They'll keep you invigorated and ready to study for the MCAT versus like burying your head in a book for eight hours every day. And like you lose track of time. You don't know what's going on. You're not seeing your progress. And then it's just a downward spiral. So find ways to lift yourself up when those things are down. So it's, you you can keep yourself going. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Speaking of keeping ourselves going, um, Let's let's talk about passage for BioBioCam from yeah. Blueprint MCAT Diagnostic. Again, everyone gets the diagnostic for free over at BlueprintMCAT.com, signing up for that free account. Let's go ahead and jump in. I'm going to warn you, this is a tougher passage, but like again, this is where the structural understanding can really help. So let's dive into it. Passage number four. The quality of DNA-labeled affinity probes is critical in DNA-assisted protein analyses, such as proximity ligation assays, PLA, and immuno-PCR. Efficient, high-performance methods are therefore required for isolation of pure conjugates from reactions where DNA strands have been coupled to antibodies or recombinant affinity reagents. An important step in the synthesis of these molecules is sequentially removing any unconjugated affinity reagents and remaining free oligonucleotides from conjugation reactions as shown in figure one. So let's just take a step back here, right? Alphabet soup, a lot of words in here, a lot of <laughs> concepts. Like you might be thinking, the listeners are being like, well, what did he just say? Mm-hmm. What, what did he say? Right? So this is again where it's remember a lot of this stuff is presented as background. Do we need to know all of it immediately? Do we need to know all the techniques? Probably not. If it's important, it will be expanded on. So I look at this and I'm like, okay, we're talking a little bit about quality of affinity probes, something about isolation. I kind of lock into this here. The, there's a need, right? So efficient high performance methods are required for what? Isolation of pure conjugates. I might, I might highlight that. I'm like, this seems like the goal of whatever we might read. And ultimately, this comes back in that final sentence. It says, removing any unconjugated affinity reagents and remaining free oligonucleotides. So this makes sense. We're isolating something. We're trying to wash away the impurities. We want something specific. We're probably going to see some methods, right? If we come towards this next figure, I look at this, and quite frankly, my first reaction is like, okay, sick. Like, there are some steps. This is the illustration of the purification process. There's no, like, I'm looking for the clues that can give me hints. I'm looking for in the caption, if they're going to describe anything more about it, about like step A is step B is step C, nothing. All it says is figure one, illustration of purification of affinity binder oligonucleotide conjugates. This is probably like the methods, but I'm not going to spend too much time on it because if it's important, they'll explain it. Sure enough, the next paragraph. First, so now we're going to methods, right? 
First, the conjugation is performed in solution by mixing antibodies with an excess of azide-modified oligonucleotides. The resulting mix containing antibody DNA conjugates and remaining free antibodies and oligonucleotides is incubated, and the products are immobilized on agarose beads. After washes to remove um, unconjugated antibodies, the captured DNA the captured antibody DNA conjugates, along with unconjugated oligonucleotides, are both released by enzymatic cleavage using the restriction enzyme MLY1 that cleaves at the border of the complementary region, figure 2. Between the capture and the conjugate oligonucleotides to release single-stranded DNA-coupled conjugates, the cleavage process requires both ATP and S adenosyl L-met in order to run to completion. The eluate was then captured on protein G beads and washes were conducted to remove any free uh, nucleotides uh, having no antibodies attached. Finally, purified conjugates were eluted from the protein G beads by lowering the pH. Again, what? Right? A lot of steps. But for me, this is, again, don't get lost in the details. For me, I'm somehow trying to relate this paragraph because really it's it's a bunch of methods. All I'm trying to think of is this is a bunch of methods. And I see this methods and I say, this relates to my figure. This is the story that describes the figure that I just saw. So making that kind of link, I'm not going to get too caught up in all of the specifics, but I might try to see what happens at each stage. I know ultimately I'm working with oligonucleotides. So like a strand of you know, DNA building blocks, right? Oligonucleotides. I'm also working with some sort of conjugate. Something's going to attach to it. So I might highlight even first. First, there's some sort of conjugation. So first highlight conjugation, antibodies, and oligonucleotides. I know that at my first stage, I'm going to take my strands of DNA. I'm going to conjugate it with something. Okay. The next process, there's going to be something that happens. There's like a mix. Great. Fine. They're immobilized and washed. Okay. So I would highlight immobilized and then washed. Then I know the function is we're removing something. We're washing. We're getting rid of something right after it says removed unconjugated antibodies. I'll just keep that in the back of my mind. I'm going to highlight immobilized and washed. From there, what happens? There's a step of enzymatic cleavage. Something is released. So I might highlight enzymatic cleavage. I'm again trying to orient myself to the stages that I do know, the stages that I recognize, right? Getting rid of the fluff. It could be A, B, C, D for all I care. I'm just trying to orient myself to the steps. So enzymatic cleavage. And ultimately, this cleavage is going to do something. It's going to cleave somewhere. It's going to release DNA-coupled conjugates. Okay, so now I'm starting to build a picture. There's some conjugated, some unconjugated. We want this idea of purity. So I'm going to highlight release DNA-coupled conjugates. Well, I'm just trying to follow the process. And then this cleavage requires some things. I'm just going to remember that. I'm not going to highlight necessarily. And then ultimately, um, it was captured on this other thing, conducted. Oh, I'm removing free oligonucleotides. I might highlight remove free oligonucleotides. What are we left with? Pure uh, purified conjugates, and then a final step, lowering the pH. Interesting. So by orienting myself around the steps, I'm really focusing on just the steps. I don't need to worry too much about what's happening in the middle. If somehow I need to relate it, I'll come back to this figure, I'll come back to this paragraph, and I'll tie it all together. But remember, you're only rewarded for understanding as far as the questions ask you. So now we're down to figure two, right? We see these two strands of DNA, we see some sequences, and figure two says enzymatic cleavage by our enzyme. Cool. 
just some sequence. Maybe we're asked about complementary sequences. I'm thinking MCAT testable content. Not going to spend too much time here. And final paragraph, these purified high-grade probes extend the capabilities of traditional immunoassays to allow direct detection of proteins and modifications with high specificity and sensitivity. With them, Designated protein targets can be readily detected and localized with single molecule resolution and objectively quantified in unmodified cells and tissues. Really, all I get from here is the author saying, this method is great. You know, um, we ultimately get what we're looking for. Again, that purified idea of probes, high-grade probes, amino acids. I might just highlight maybe high sensitivity, high specificity, just to get an idea. And they're talking about, you know, single molecule resolution. The point here is they're saying this method is great. Okay. We described all the methods. This method is great. So with that in mind, I would be ready to approach the questions and maybe come back to see if there's anything that I actually need from the passage. Let's have a look. (laughs) I'm scared. Yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel? Like this is again, I feel like I haven't read anything and now I'm going (laughs) into these questions. Oh man. Oh man. But remember sometimes the questions like pseudo discretes, maybe it's a super intimidating passage. And this is why you have to keep in mind. You're like, okay, I'm going to take what I know. Even if I don't know anything, I'm going to try the questions and I'll come back if I need it. That's the right approach because they will throw big, ugly things at you intended to scare you. But the mindset of I'm just going to take like one step at a time. I'm going to read the question. I'm going to figure out what I need. If I don't know, I'm going to move on. If I do know, fantastic. Right? So let's try it out. Okay. Whatever you say, George. Uh, Question 19. In vitro, free oligonucleotides such as mRNA transcripts have a short half-life in the cytosol. What mechanism is used to stabilize these molecules? Um, So this doesn't seem like it has anything to do with the passage. There you go. <laughs> right? Like again, we talked about oligonucleotides. It's from the passage. It's a buzzword. But do you need any information from the passage here? No. This is why it helps. Like you could spend five minutes just your head buried in your hands and you're like, oh, like I don't understand. And you see a question like this and you're like, hey, this is just some basic like biobiochemistry, central dogma stuff. Like I should know this, right? Go right into it. That's why it helps not to be phased by these big, ugly passages. They will throw it at you specifically to throw you off your game. Remember that these questions exist. Mm-hmm. These are common on the MCAT. A lot of people are like, oh, it's not going to be that easy. It is. There are tons of questions like this where they give you a tough passage and you still have to, it's like a pseudo discrete. If you know the content, you can answer the question. Yeah. So the re- rephrasing this is basically saying, uh, how do I stabilize oligonucleotides such as mRNA, right? So they, so they don't get stabilized to me is so they don't get degraded. Um, and so answer choice C to me is seems dumb, right? I don't want to digest something if I want to stabilize it. So, uh, I'm going to get rid of C, um, active transport across the nuclear membrane. Uh, well, it's, it's telling me how do I stabilize it in the cytosol? So I can't really transport it if I want it there to use. It's, I, I need to stabilize it. Um, and so I'm left with A and B. Uh, phosphorylation, polyadenylation. I, phosphorylation always seems like it's like the answer to everything. It's, it's in every answer choice. Uh, polyadenylation sounds like it's fun. So I'm going to go with A just because I'm tired of phosphorylation being an answer. <laughs> so I want to begin by saying... <laughs> 
I loved the paraphrase. That was fantastic because again, you're taking like a longer and a lot of these questions can get really long. I love the paraphrase where you said, you know, all I need here is what makes oligonucleotide stable? What makes mRNA stable? Meaning what prevents degradation? Fantastic. The first step is figuring out what you need to answer, right? And that was perfect. Your logic on eliminating C, fantastic, right? Enzyme digestion, you're breaking it down. No, that's what we want to prevent, right? Mm -hmm. C is eliminated. D, active transport across the nuclear membrane, just like you said. You want it in the cytosol. Why would you transport it? D is incorrect. So A and B. A is the correct answer. So (laughs) excellent. So let's actually break this down, right? So phosphorylation, you're right. It happens all the time. You stick a phosphate on, you take a phosphate on. ATP is everywhere. You stick a phosphate on, taking a phosphate off. Like it's coupled to a lot of reactions. It's a very important process. A ton of proteins are phosphorylated, depophosphorylated. Like that's a whole like turning on, turning off mechanism. But in this case, we're talking about mRNA or oligonucleotides. The mRNA is the example that gave, that they gave us. When we think about transcription in our cells, The biggest things is we think of post-transcriptional modification. So if we think of like an mRNA transcript, if we want to stabilize the transcript, we need to make modifications to this transcript to stabilize it, right? This is called the post-translational, post-transcriptional modifications. And there's two big ones. Um, This might ring some bells for people at home. It might ring some bells for you, but the poly A tail and like the G, I think it's like the G7 cap, like the G cap. There's a G cap and a poly A tail. And basically you stick these on. These are post-transcriptional modifications that are slapped onto your mRNA, which is an oligonucleotide, to stabilize it, right? So polyadenylation, adding many, so poly, many, adenyl groups, so adenine, right? Polyadenylation is a poly A tail. You're adding that poly A tail to stabilize the transcript A is the correct answer. So phosphorylation is involved in a lot of regulatory pathways for turning on and turning off proteins. In this case, we want to stabilize oligonucleotides. A is the best answer. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I got it. (laughs) Great. So question 20. Given the locations of the MLY1 cleavage site and recognition sequence, MLY1 is not a what? A type 1 restriction enzyme, B, type 2 restriction enzyme, C, type 3 restriction enzyme, D, type 4 restriction enzyme? Um, yeah, so this is, again, straight up, uh, seems like straight up pseudo-discrete. Like, we didn't talk about restriction enzymes anywhere, I don't remember, especially type 1 through 4. Um, we did talk about in the question, right? This uh, MLY uh, one, and uh, we we have the figure two here talking about it, where it is. So, I, I like obviously uh, I I like talking about thought process on on these questions, and sometimes I don't have anything to go off of a thought process on. There's there's no there's literally no thought process that I can do here. Uh, so if a student is in this situation, is this this one where it's like, don't waste your time, pick C and move on, or whatever you want? Okay, That's I'm, exactly, I'm going to yeah. pick C. Type three. Amazing. The correct <laughs> answer here, 
is A. The correct <laughs> answer is A. But I 100% agree with you. As in, I read this question when I was like prepping as well, like looking over these slides. And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like this, it's a very discrete content nugget. Like um, the, you know, we talk about enzyme sites and restriction enzymes. It was briefly mentioned in the passage, like MLY1 is a restriction enzyme. Mm. But this is such a specific thing where there really is no strategy. It's like a pick your favorite number, right? But the point is like, one, never leave a question blank. Two, like guess and move on. Don't give it extra time. This is one of those questions that you could stare at for five minutes and you still have no extra information, right? So just like you did, pick your extra, pick your favorite number and move on. Mm. In terms of the actual content, this comes down to, well, if we look at figure two, and this was also new to me, but if we look at figure two, it shows that the cleavage site is super close to the recognition site. Now, a lot of enzymes will sometimes have the rec- uh, the cleavage site within. So like they recognize this part, they're going to cut within the same area. Sometimes it's very close by and sometimes they bind one place, they recognize one place, but then they cut at a much further site. So the distinction here, and honestly, I would say this is definitely not a question you should kick yourself over because this is a very very low yield, discrete, like minute detail. If anything, I would say of all your full lengths, all of your AMC stuff, every practice question that you do between now and your test date, you're going to see like a maximum of one more question like this, if any. So this is why we also focus on strategy, not so much content. You're never going to see another question that asks you word for word, type one, two, three, four enzymes again. But for the sake of completeness, Let's talk about type one enzymes, right? Type one enzymes is correct because the idea is we are also looking for not, right? MLY1 is not what? Type one enzymes are specific in the sense that they recognize a certain site and they cut somewhere very far away. If we look at figure two, we can see that just downstream or very close to our recognition site is our cut site that does not satisfy our need for a type one restriction enzyme. Therefore, MLY1 is not a type one restriction enzyme. Type two restriction enzymes are considered anything that cleaves within or like short distances of your sequence site. So this would this would be fine, right? The cleavage site is very close. Type three, they require like, um, they also same thing can be a short distance or close by, but they do require this S adenosyl L methionine thing, which was mentioned briefly in the passage. Again, very discrete content. And then D type four are enzymes that target like modified DNA, so methylated versus demethylated or hydroxymethylated. We don't really get any information for figure two here, but you could reason out that if there's a cytosine, you could slap on a methyl group or like you could modify this DNA if that event was there. So maybe you could say it'd be a type four, which is least correct, which is it not for sure. It can definitely not be a type one because by definition, a type one says the recognition site is very far away from the cleavage site. We see from figure two, they're actually quite close. So this is again a very specific knowledge, but one where it's like pick your favorite number and move on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um and, and this was a not. You gotta make sure you 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 make sure you keep that straight in your head as you're going through. For sure. All right. Question twenty one. Which nucleophile was likely used to prepare the oligonucleotides used in the purification procedure? Mm. <sighs> um Sodium hydroxide. Is that how you say that one? A. Yeah. Sodium hydroxide. Uh, B. CH33 CCL. Um, CHCN or D. Uh, sodium nitrate. Nitrate. What's that one? Uh, that that would be uh, <laughs> NaO3. I, I can't give you all the names because there's <laughs> a few here. So so we have NaOH CH33 yeah. CCL. Yeah. HCN NaN3. 
So I'm, I, there's a reason I'm not giving you the names because there is like, it is an expectation to know the nomenclature, but it's also, there is a very fine trick to this question. Mm. But if you do know certain names, maybe you can eliminate. Hmm. So, so first, think like, would you be able to answer this question without passage information? Are you expected to know how oligonucleotides are modified or purified? Are you expected to know that? I don't know. The answer is no. Yeah, in this specific case, <laughs> the answer is no. Yeah. So if, if you're not expected to know it, this is one of those where you can probably find it where? In the passage. Yeah. Hmm. So we talked about um, this whole first this uh this whole second paragraph here all of these steps that are happening uh i'm assuming the answer is somewhere here which nucleophile oh man george help me out <laughs> all right do you want a hit <laughs> i want the answer uh, i can't give you the that's answer all, that's that's all the people hit. want give the people what they want george <laughs> So I love that you're thinking about nucleophile, but also think about what the nucleophile is involved in. What is it doing? So use the question to guide yourself. What is it doing? And look for where it's being done in the steps that we laid out. Uh, in short, what are we doing here? What is the nucleophile doing? Purifying. Even, even a step before that. The entire process is purifying, but what specifically is it doing? Uh, what step? Because the entire method is the purification. Mm -hmm. What specific step? What is the nucleophile actually doing, given in our question? I don't know. It's preparing the oligonucleotide. So where do you think that would occur? We did see oligonucleotides. Mm -hmm. And if we're looking for prepare the oligonucleotides, in another way, this is saying like, you know, modifying oligonucleotides, changing, mm -hmm. like modifying, you know, if we look at our steps, do we see somewhere where we are preparing things? Preparing also suggests what? You think early or later? Early. Okay. Do you see a step where you have prepared or changed oligonucleotides? <laughs> um, the beginning part. You're conjugating antibodies with oligonucleotides. Mm -hmm. And what about those oligonucleotides? Azide modified. There it is. So now the question is, do you know which one is an azide group? Mm. Right. And see if you can use process of elimination. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but like walk us through. Let's talk about A. What, like you said, what is the name of that guy? Uh, sodium hydroxide. Is there an azide in that? Any sodium hydroxide, azide? No. No. I don't know. <laughs> Not it. Um, B. Do you see anything in there that might be azide? What's an azide again for the listener? Not for I me. Can't, I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you. Not just not <laughs> just quite yet. Not quite yet. But in this, like B is kind of like CH3, 3 is like a trimethyl, trimethyl chloride here. Um, this wouldn't be an azide. C is uh, hydrocyanide. So CN, the CN group is a cyanide group. Mm -hmm. um, sorry, I think it's a, a nitrile group. No. Ooh, what is it? It's not, it, it's not an azide. Yeah, sorry. Uh, okay. I'd, have to, I'd have to double check. It's either a hydrocyanide or it's a nitrile. I think it's called a nitrile group. So okay. in this point, the C is triple bonded to the N and then mm -hmm. there's an H at the end. But this is also not an azide. An azide is an ion where it's N3 minus. Mm -hmm. N3 minus. So 
sodium azide, which is what we would see at the bottom here, NaN3. This would be sodium plus an ion with NN3 minus. This would be sodium azide. So if we're talking about specific steps, like which nucleophile is likely used to prepare the oligonucleotides. Again, the strategy is, what am I looking for? I'm looking for something that prepared the oligonucleotides. I knew I had all these steps. Prepare is kind of early. I'm looking for something that modified oligonucleotides. The keywords in the passage here was azide modified oligonucleotides. If we know azide, now we're going to look for something azide. We're saying that's not a sodium hydroxide. That's not some sort of trimethyl chloride. That's not, you know, um, you know, hydrocyanide. And then we end up with, um, by process of elimination, sodium, like azide here. So NaN3. Tough right. question. Yeah, tough question. Lots um, do you also, do you also see up to this point, have we used the passage a whole lot? No. No. And this is this is the teaching point as in they will throw you this big ugly thing. You can spend forever trying to figure it out. <laughs> but if they don't ask you a question about it, it doesn't matter, yeah. right? So let's take a look at this again. So some proteins and antibodies are susceptible to pH damage. In order to prevent this damage, what would be the most efficient and effective additional step to perform at the end of the elution process? A, adding 0.1 molar glycine HCl, pH 3, or B, 0.1 molar NaCl, pH 7, or C, 1 molar tris hydro uh, HCl, pH of 8.5, or D, 0.7 molar potassium hydroxide, pH 13.85. So again, we're talking steps. Where would you look if you're thinking steps? Uh, back to this middle paragraph. Going back to the steps. Hmm. The elute <laughs> there's the elute we have uh elution process um finally the purified conjugates were eluted from the protein g beads by lowering the ph so if they're lowering the ph it's saying some proteins and antibodies are susceptible to pH damage. In order to prevent this damage, what would be the most efficient and effective additional step? So if, if we're going to lower the pH to elute from the protein G beads and we want to protect, it seems like we would want to add something basic if we're going to make something acidic to protect whatever it is that we're doing. So... D is the most basic at pH of 13.85. So that's the one that I would jump to. But then I'm confused of one molar versus 0.7 molar. And is this a stronger acid or base or whatever? <laughs> um, yeah. What do you think? What's your final answer? <laughs> I think D. Sure. Your, your thought project, so everything up to that point was perfection in the sense that you said, okay, listen, I'm, I'm talking about the methods again. I'm going to go to the passage. I'm going to find the steps. It says additional step at the end of the elution process. I'm scanning. Oh, finally, finally, uh, finally, they were eluded. This sounds kind of like the final step. What additional step? What would I do after? And you said the immediate step before they lowered the pH. They made it more acidic. We probably want to counteract that. We're going to add something more basic. You're absolutely correct. So we can narrow it down to C and D. 
Now, my question is, the first part of the question says some proteins are very susceptible to pH damage. Which one is more basic, just based on the solution? So I'm going to tell you right now that the reason that it says pH 8.5 and pH 13.85, that's telling you the uh, pH of the solution. Mm -hmm. Which one is the stronger base here? Uh, I don't remember. So which one's more basic, though? Which one's more basic, just based on the pHs? D. D. D is more basic. Yeah. So if D is more basic, and remember, it's very susceptible to pH change. If we want to, because we still do need to lower the pH to kind of elude it out, right? It's a necessary step. We just Mm want to prevent an overshoot. If you want to prevent an overshoot, do you want to add, you know, kind of a weak base to offset the acid or a really strong base to offset the acid? Um, well, the way that you're asking that question and, and how I read the beginning was some proteins and antibodies are susceptible to low pH damage. So I immediately assumed like, oh, high pH, uh, that's not going to matter, but it just says pH damage in general. Mm. So we don't want to go to the extremes. We want to play in the middle somehow. That's exactly it. C is the correct answer, Uh right? So in this case, everything up to that point, you're absolutely correct. You're like, okay, we want to lower the pH because that's what's in our final step. So to Mm -hmm. counteract that, we want to prevent too much acidity. We want to prevent acid caused damage. We're going to add a little bit of base. How much base? We want to add the weaker base because we want to prevent the overshoot. We don't want to shoot it back up and turn it back into a basic solution, super basic, because that can also cause damage, right? Too much base can also cause damage. It's the same way that like, very little or like too much acid can you think of like corrosive materials you can have very corrosive acids and also very corrosive basic solutions as well so um that would be the correct answer c one molar tris hcl the contents of the specific solution in this question honestly don't matter it's very specifically the ph here like we're adding something basic slightly basic to make it slightly less acidic to prevent damage that's really all you need from this question as our good friend Megan Trainer says, it's <laughs> all about that base. All about that base. <laughs> all right, all right. So I just but I really liked your thought. So even though yeah. we didn't get the right answer there, your your thought process was perfect. The approach was perfect. The fact mm-hmm. that it was in that last bit, and you're like, oh, like I'm just going to go with the bigger number. Yeah, it's totally fine. The extra step at the end is you want you don't want to overshoot, right? Yeah. So it makes sense to take the the more mild one. But excellent. So final question. Final question. All right. Which step? of the procedure corresponds to the release of DNA coupled conjugates. Is it, I'm not even going to read the ABCD because it's like step B, C, E, or D. Yeah. And so we're, we're going up to figure one, which mm-hmm. is where all of the, the drawings are. Um, mm-hmm. uh, showing things going on. Uh, and so we see A, B, C, D, E, F. Uh, we only have four of those six. Um, which step of the procedure corresponds to the release of DNA coupled conjugates? Hmm. So if we look an important step in the synthesis, blah, blah, blah. Uh, an important step in the synthesis of these molecules is sequentially removing any unconjugated affinity reagents and remaining free oligonucleotides, blah, blah, blah. Um, hmm. I don't know. What is it doing? So we have the illustration of purification of affinity binder oligonucleotide, oligonucleotide conjugates. 
Hmm. So we have DNA. I'm assuming what we have here, the, the little line is either DNA or an oligonucleotide. Uh, and they're just, they're conjugated together. They're hanging out together. Which step of the procedure corresponds to the release of DNA coupled conjugates? Uh, geez, Louise, <laughs> what, what is going on? <laughs> so the only, uh, I don't, it's, it's D. The answer choice is D. That's, that's what I, that's what I'm going with because the, yeah. so and and there was logic there right so I look at B and I go okay I don't really see what's going on with B other than this this like I don't know structure on the left comes in I have no idea what the structure on the left is um and then and uh so that's B C is okay, I don't see anything changing between C and B other than, I don't know, there's this one thing that floats off in space. So I'm not sure what's going on there. Some sort of cleavage happening, something going on. I don't know. Answer choice E, like, I don't know. There's this other thing, like things are just popping back in here. Something's happening. The only thing where I see a release of anything is from this thing on the top right to this thing on the bottom left, which is, is D. So I'm like, this has got to be it because I don't see anything else going on. And honestly, <laughs> that's perfection. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> that's really all it is. I think like for the sake of completeness, it's really helpful sometimes when I'm reading the passage because I was looking that you were looking in paragraph one for your answer. Yeah. This is where sometimes it can help to have that kind of structural idea in mind. Paragraph one says, we have a process to purify some target mm. and start to finish. This is what we do. We remove the unconjugated affinity reagents. We want to remove the, uh, you know, the remaining free oligonucleotides. We want to end up with what we want our pure conjugate. So this is again, the introduction and the start and finish. The next paragraph is all the steps, right? The first, this happens, then that happens. Then we wash, then finally this, that. So that's where, if this question is asking about steps, that's where we want to look. And really the second paragraph here from the first to the finally, this paragraph is all about describing that exact figure. The figure is a diagrammatic representation of the process, but then everything in this section here talks about that figure. So this is also what I meant by sometimes like you look at a figure and the figure can be very informative. Other times you can look at a figure and it really doesn't tell you anything and it's probably going to be expanded upon in the actual passage. So just like you highlighted here, you noticed released um, DNA coupled conjugates, right? If we want to look for a cause and effect, we're going to see, okay, well, something released these DNA coupled conjugates. I'm scanning before that. What happens before that? Enzymatic cleavage, directly before enzymatic cleavage. So if we were to turn back to our diagram and we try to infer what's happening, this is exactly what we see in step D, right? In step C, we've added this enzyme and the little lines you see is the cleavage site where we're cutting things. So you can notice that in D, they're a little bit shorter. You're left with the region that's been like after you remove things, this is the region that's left. This is after you've snipped it, right? Mm -hmm. So D is the correct answer. D is the stage where the enzyme is added to kind of cleave things off. In step C, for the sake of completeness, kind of like you mentioned, you see all like all I see is this random, like, you know, this little thing like being, uh, it's being 
taken away. Step C is actually, uh, if we look even in our paragraph, this is the wash step. The wash to, so after it says, after washes to remove unconjugated antibodies, that's that step right there. We washed away the unconjugated antibodies. And now it makes sense. These little Y things are our antibodies. These little lines are our illegal nucleotides. The conjugated antibody illegal nucleotide complex is when they're attached together. So we can see that at step D, you have a conjugated form and you also have free oligonucleotides, right? So free unbound little lines. Then the next step is to get rid of those little lines, right? To keep just the conjugated thing. And you see at the end, we're ending up with the conjugated uh, antibody oligonucleotide complex. So is it important to understand all the stages and understand how all these information relates to the passage or like how it relates to the diagram? Not at all. The point is, from this passage, we saw there's so much information, so many steps, so many different things. But when you look at the questions, there's often very key things that as long as you can figure out where that's coming from and you can apply it back to the passage, none of the other stuff matters, right? So how, how did that feel? Painful, as always. <laughs> yeah. Painful. It was a tough passage. That was a tough passage. Yeah. And I, I, I keep coming back to... Um, just confidence during this. I, I can completely understand a student gets to this point. It's like void. I'm voiding. I'm just, I'm quitting. There's, yeah. there's no point in me trying to do this. I have no clue what they're talking about. Mm. I didn't study this. I don't know anything like, uh, and it's, it sucks. Like it's just, just getting to this point. And, and I don't, I don't know. Uh, obviously we're, the, we're doing this for educational purposes and hopefully helping some students mm -hmm. get over their own insecurity, but I'm sitting here going like, I don't know anything. I'm an idiot. Like I can't, I can't do this. I'm really sorry to hear that. <laughs> and like, I hope, I hope that it's like, if anything, I've been able to show you that it's okay. One, to make the mistakes now Two, a lot of the things that we talked about today are due to like content gaps. That's quite frankly it. Your strategy has been flawless. Your, your strategy has been excellent. The, the thought process and like eliminating answers, comparing answers, looking for like, you know, the easy way out. That's actually the toughest part. Mm -hmm. That's actually the part that most students have a difficulty with. And that's the reason why most students see plateaus. So I would, I definitely want to commend you to begin with because like your thought process is there. The content I'm going to tell you right now, you haven't seen this for like, you know, a, a long, long time. time. <laughs> a the long fact time. that like you can still remember <laughs> some of it is incredible. So that's all I'm saying is in content can always be learned but practice takes like the the strategy takes time to refine, fine tune. And like, I can practice. see that in your thought. We talk about practice. Yeah. You're talking about practice, right? <laughs> the strategy. I love, I, I love seeing that because if anything, that's a testament to how stable strategy becomes. Yeah. Because going back to when you wrote the MCAT, you probably taught yourself the same strategies, the same approaches, the same way to think about questions. And even to this day, even though the content has some gaps, all of the strategy is still there. The approach well, is still there. I, I scored a, a, an equivalent of a 502 back in the day. So I didn't have any good strategy. No, but even a 502, I think most people think around a 500. They're like, oh, that's not a great score. But you need to remember that a 502 means you're in the top half of everyone who's trying to go to medical school. This isn't an average person. These are people who want to become doctors, who've studied hard. Like a 500, is it means you're in the top half. You know, it's a yeah. good score. It's something to be proud of. If you want to shoot higher, you have more goals, you want to set other things, you want to learn more strategies, absolutely. But don't ever like, <laughs> don't ever look at a 502 and be like, wow, I'm dumb or I'm not like, you know, <laughs> it's tough stuff. So yeah. if anything, keep it up. Like for our listeners at home, keep it up. Remember, like if you have that feeling of, oh, I'm not smart enough or you read a passage and you're like, I have no idea what's going on. The point isn't to know everything that's going on in the passage. The point is to remember the MCAT tests 
the same core concepts, always, always the same core concepts. They will dress it up. They'll put a clown costume on it for all I care, but they will show you things to throw you off. And just like we saw in that last passage, they will give you really tough passages with a lot of information. But if you take a step back and say, listen, I don't fully understand certain things, but I'm going to try the questions anyways. You're going to get rewarded for it. It's the same way when you go into your practice. I don't know all the content areas, but I'm still going to try the practice questions. I'm going to still try to refine my strategy. I'm still going to try my best. That mindset is going to be rewarded so much more than being like, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't, I just, I just don't know. Change the mindset too. I just don't know yet. I just don't know how yet, right? Add that extra step, one strategy at a time. And before you know it, you'll look back and be like, I did that. So keep up your good work. And um, that's really all I got to say about that. All right, so there you have it again, passage for BioBioChem from the Blueprint MCAT half-length diagnostic, which everyone gets for free, as well as full-length one, an amazing study planner tool, 1,600-plus flashcards on a spaced repetition platform, all at blueprintmcat.com by setting up a free account. Hope this was helpful for you. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.